we believe that we who live in this valley are called to this valley in mission. And yesterday, one um, demonstration of that call was that we had a work day here at the middle school so that we could bring that sort of cultivation to this place where we meet uh, every, every week. So much of that involved pulling weeds. That's, what, that's how I spend most of my time. Uh, I think this is from the clothes sorting, is that right? Um, which apparently was like a, just a sweat box. It was just hot work sorting clothing. Um, I don't know how many people we had yesterday. Do you, 30? Um, it, was, and it was wonderful to just, one of the benefits of seeing work like this is that you can see what you've done. And uh, what's great is to imagine students and teachers being able to walk out there and also seeing what you've done. And, you know, many of the students at Owen Middle School probably are not very concerned about the weeds growing up in the, the flower beds. It probably wasn't troubling them at all. Um, but I tell you that the teachers notice, and they care, and they've told us that they care. And the teachers, at the very least, will be able to walk outside, and they know that people at this church care about them. And, you know, we're very clear about why we're doing this, because we love them, because God made these people, and we love the people that God has made, and God has called us to love and care for and serve uh, these people. So I want to thank everybody who came to be a part of serving Owen Middle School. This will not be by any means the last time that we'll be doing something like this. There's ongoing ways of serving the school. Um, that clothing closet needs attention once a month. Um, it can always use more uh, clothes so that kids who, who don't have stuff that they need can find uh, stuff that they need here at the school. There's lots of opportunities for you um, one of the people that was there yesterday, uh, he runs nonprofit activity through United Way, based here in Owen Middle School. And, you know, I was talking to him. He's already ramping up for the school year, getting lots of stuff going on. If you want to serve Owen Middle School because you love Jesus and want to serve the people that he wants to serve, we can find a place for you, okay? Uh, don't worry. So just let us know if you'd like to be a part, and we'll be sure to let you know the next time that, that we'll be a part uh, serving here. All right, we are in the book of Proverbs for the next few weeks as we get ready for this new school year, as we get ready for life to kick up again. Um, this morning we'll be in Proverbs 6. I'm going to turn there, starting at verse 20. It'll also be here on the screen. The topic here of this passage in Proverbs is a repeated theme. It happens a lot in the book of Proverbs. Um, and so that's why I said we need, to, we need to talk about this. You can't really read the book of Proverbs without coming across passages like this. So we're going to start at verse 20 and go through verse 32. My son, keep your father's commandment. And forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. 
to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife, none who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry, but if he's caught, he'll pay sevenfold. He'll give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, for the commandments that you give to your people. Father, we confess to you that our hearts are inclined to see commandments from anyone, including you, as an undue burden weighed on us. Father, the heart of your commandment of your word is to guide us into life, into fullness. We pray that our hearts would be soft, that we would receive your law, we would receive your word, and in it hear the promise of a rich and good life. We need you to do this by your Holy Spirit for our good and your glory. Amen. Proverbs 6, this warning against adultery. Now, one thing we just, when you read this, and we, we read it with uh, modern eyes and, and modern ears, uh, it's, you have to keep in mind that the, the motif of a lot of Proverbs is that a father is speaking to a son. But the warnings here apply to both men and women. The assumption is not the only people who can be tempting are, are women. Um, it's, it's a men and women thing. So if, if you want to transpose this and here, imagine a, a mother talking to a daughter, that's fine. The principle still applies. The motif in Proverbs is that a father is speaking to a son. And that's why it, the reference is to the adulteress. The heart of wisdom we've talked about last week is not necessarily about knowledge, about information content. It is more than that. It involves knowing things, but it doesn't always involve knowing things. Children can be wise. Unexpected people who couldn't beat you on the SATs could be more wise than you. And the heart of why that can happen is, is what's alluded to in the first part of this passage when the encouragement is keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. And then again, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. The biblical understanding of what is wise is rooted in the commandments of God. And that's important to understand. Proverbs is not talking about some nebulous, unattainable, unknowable bank of knowledge or wisdom. The root of, of wisdom in the book of Proverbs is the law of God. The law of God applied to life is what wisdom is. So th this is clarifying for us because if you want to know what is wise to do in the world and you decide that you know what is wise in the world, 
But what you decide is wise is contrary to the law of God. And Scripture would not say, you know what? Trust yourself. Trust your decision. It'll instead say, you've got it totally wrong. Wisdom is knowable. It is attainable. And it is defined by and rooted in the law of God because the law of God flows out of the character of God. And the character of God is what defines the nature of creation. So if you want to know the way things should work and work wisely, then you should know the law which God speaks out of His character. So the the Father is speaking to the Son and saying, know the commandment. The commandments will provide for you life. It will provide for you the boundary within which you can be free and which you can come to flourishing. You must know the law. And of course, this particular law is, you know, it's one of the top ten. In the Ten Commandments, um, you find this commandment, do not co- commit adultery. Do not give yourself over to unfaithfulness, but instead remain faithful to your spouse. And this is at the heart of, of this commandment, this discussion, is this issue of faithfulness. The commandments of God describe the character of God and where you transgress the character of God. Now the scriptures have a singular vision for what an intimate, faithful, romantic relationship looks like. And that, that vision is singularly a man married to a woman. One person married to one person. One man married to one woman. There's no combination uh, therein that is also biblically faithful. So, for example, when we read the Old Testament and we see husbands holding multiple wives, we're not meant to look at that and say, that's probably fine. In fact, the, the Scriptures will go out of its way when that happens, and often they're the quote-unquote heroes of the story. They're the good guys a lot of times who have multiple wives. But when they have multiple wives, bad things always happen. It's not a good plan. It's not a good idea. It's not in keeping with what the, the Scriptures are going to teach are the singular vision for a, a romantic, intimate relationship. So the assumption of the law and the assumption, therefore, of the Proverbs here is that you should be seeking to be faithful within a committed relationship between a man and a woman. That is the proper context for romance and intimacy. And we live in a world where that is not the assumption. What's difficult about this section of instruction, this this section of command, is that increasingly... The law of God comes into contact and comes into friction with and is opposed by culture. Now, now this has never not been true. Temptation has always been out there. Culture has shifted to to varying degrees uh, in some places and times has exalted the the non-singular relationship. But we have to acknowledge that our place and time is especially suspicious of not especially supportive of this ideal. I was, I was um, watching this uh, comedy special, a stand-up special from this woman. And one of the, you know, she's talking about a million different things. But one of the things that she just happens to, to throw out there is why she decided to get married. 
And her reason, and she's joking, I'm sure this is not what she would say in seriousness in the privacy of her home. I hope not. Uh, one of the reasons why she decided to get married was so that, she, so that she could lock down financial support from one person for the rest of her life. So she would hopefully never have to work again. That's what she's saying. Um, and she's saying, why else would I decide to only be with one person for the rest of my life? In other words, it's so ridiculous that somebody would do that. I had to have some other ulterior motive to enter into this sort of singular relationship. And that kind of mentality and attitude is, is soaked in, baked into our culture. We, we're seeing for a number of reasons, both cultural and economic and on and on, that people my age and younger, millennials and younger, are marrying later and later in life. And many, many more are saying they'll probably forego marriage altogether. On top of that, the number of marriages that, that fail within a short window of time is also increasing. So it's increasingly common uh, for people my age and younger to say that basically your first marriage is like a test run. You kind of get some, you kind of work out the kinks for a few years, and then your, your second marriage, that's when things really start. So this is becoming increasingly part of the cultural environment we live in. And what we would say is Scripture is not accommodating to that, but it instead stands opposed to culture. It says that there's actually something intrinsically good and right and beautiful about a man marrying a woman in faithfulness intended to be for the rest of their life. That this is, in fact, something is designed about the nature of that institution itself that actually says something about God. And here we are, instructed in this proverb to be wary, to be on guard, because deep in the heart of all of us is this propensity to decide if I should go some other way other than God's, if I take this other route, bad things are waiting for us. And it starts, if you'll notice, in the instruction from the Father to the Son, with this interior world. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Now, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing unbiblical or sinful for recognizing that someone, man or woman, is beautiful. That itself is not wrong. Look, Tom Brady is a beautiful man, okay? That, that is unavoidable. I am not attracted to him, I don't want to be him, but he's just a beautiful man. I can say that, my eyes work, my brain functions, that is a beautiful man. This is not talking about that, your ability to discern whether someone is beautiful or not. It's, it's moving that recognition down into your heart and saying, do not in your heart desire their beauty. Because this is the place in your heart where adultery starts, is inside. The greatest teacher 
ever on morality, we would say, is Jesus. And this is the way that Jesus talks about this idea. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose your, one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus moves this same discussion, the discussion this same way. Not just mere external conformity, but into your heart. If you desire her beauty in your heart, if you lust after her in your heart, you have already started going down this path. You know, the, the misunderstanding about Jesus is that Jesus is the nice guy and the law is the mean part, and we like Jesus because he's nicer, because it just makes everything easier. Jesus, that's not him though. Do you hear what he said? If, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off so you don't go to hell. That's Jesus. That Jesus doesn't get as much play. But that's Jesus. Because Jesus is saying that there is real and live danger even in the unseen portions of your heart, where this stuff comes from. The Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs will say it this way. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? The biblical writers, the way of wisdom is to acknowledge the very present danger of sin and to not believe foolishly about yourself that you are immune. There is no one immune. No one. It doesn't say, can one walk, can one hold fire close to his chest and not be worried that they be burned? Well, yes, if they're fireproof. There is no little clause there for the fireproof person. The assumption is that if any fool holds a fire close to their chest, they will get burned. And oftentimes we are, we are trained and formed by our culture outwardly and from our own desires inwardly to believe that we are not playing with fire. That what is unseen, and hey, if I don't act on it, it's fine. Nobody will really be hurt. Those unseen desires and habits and activities of your heart actually are destructive and dangerous and no one is immune from it. No one. No one is immune. And that, that runs the, the gamut of behaviors. Looking at things that you should not. Looking at people in a way that you should not cultivating the habits of your heart so that you habitually think that you can think whatever you want and you are safe and you are fine. The language of Proverbs is, you are a fool. Remember, wisdom is not about knowledge content. It is about your heart. 
And when Proverbs calls you, calls you a fool, it is not saying you are stupid. It is saying that you are going down the other path, which is not the way of life in the world. And, and I want to just pause here and just address something in the room. The temptation here is to read the book of Proverbs, to read this passage, and think that this is only about married people. Oh, this, this is the issue for the person who might be unfaithful to their spouse. But I'm single, therefore this is not an issue. And, and I want to say that the, the presence, the, the, the benefit, the vocation of singleness in the church is in this specific reference incredibly important. Because married people probably would be better off by being in relationship with people who are single in this specific passage. The, the person who, who accepts the responsibility, the call, the possibility, the potential, the holy potential of their state in life as a single person can be a testament and a blessing and a teacher to people who are married. It is entirely possible, I think it should be the case that within the church, that those of us who are single should be honored in their singleness and should be a sought-after help specifically in regarding to being faithful to this commandment. Because the habits and the practices of faithfulness do not begin when you get married. If you are saying, well, I better work on this faithfulness thing now that I have a ring, you are already behind the, behind the game. You are already in danger. And if we in the church would teach people that while you're single, God is not putting you on pause until you get married, but is instead doing things in you that are incredibly important and necessary in your life and the life of the body, single people should be able to help, to encourage, and to teach married people. To encourage them that faithfulness is not just about making sure that you go to sleep in the right place at, at night but is instead about a habit of giving all of your heart over to the God who owns and rules your life. So Proverbs 6 is not just about married people doing what they should and not doing what they should not do. Proverbs 6 is for the whole church, and single people have an important place in this discussion because single people help us to remember and to understand that faithfulness is about these practices of the heart that precede and are bigger than the marriage that you are hopefully remaining faithful to. This is a discussion for all of us. And if we were being honest with one another as we should be, our confession should probably be to one another that we have not treated the issue of unfaithfulness as if it actually is a destructive fire, we have instead embraced the coals, as it were. All of us, single and married, should be in a regular habit of confessing to one another, maybe not to everyone, but to one another, 
that we have made room for the coals and the fire in our life. That every incident of that is not innocuous or, or safe if it falls below a certain number. Every single incident of that is dangerous. It has no place in our hearts or in our lives. This should be a regular discussion amongst us. If you do not have somebody whom with you bear your soul and confess your sin, you are missing out on the help of the body and potentially giving space to dark and dangerous things that should instead be pulled out by the roots again and again. If your heart is the battleground for this way of wisdom, how are you listening to Jesus and plucking out your eyes or cutting off your hands? Now, I would encourage you not to take that literally. Please don't actually pluck out your eyes. Um, We had people that did that in the history of the church, and we just need people with eyeballs, so don't, don't necessarily take that approach. But in every way that you are coming to see or to handle this kind of destructive sin, would you take it seriously, the commandment of Jesus? And would you solicit the help of your brothers and sisters so that you would obey Jesus and come into the life that he has for you? Because at heart, this is about not your life, It's not even about the lives that you could ruin, which is what the Father warns the Son about. This is ultimately about the life and the character of God. Your faithfulness in this arena is meant to be a sign pointing to the character of God. Adultery is is terrible not because it fractures families and it wounds you, but because It fails to live up to our universal calling as humans to reflect and represent the character and image of God in the world. All of us have this kind of unfaithfulness swimming around in our guts. The good news is that God is not like us. And and the opportunity when you confess your sin to somebody else, the opportunity becomes one for, for you to hear a friend, a partner in the gospel to tell you, God is far more faithful than you are. One of the things that that Israel will say about God again and again and again, the things that define him, is his covenant faithfulness. And the prophets will paint the relationship between Israel and God within the metaphorical language of marriage. And what they will say again and again is that Israel is unfaithful, she is the adulteress, and God is the faithful husband. You may be immersed in unfaithfulness. You have swam in those waters again and again. You have played with that fire and you are in the process of being burned by it. You know that the burning is coming and you may think that you have been too far immersed in that world of unfaithfulness, but God is forever the faithful one. And God presents himself as the faithful bridegroom who will 
rescue his bride and make her clean again and again. The life that Jesus lives tells us that he makes friends with people marked by unfaithfulness. There are specific stories in the Gospels where Jesus comes close to the unfaithful one. Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, and she has a serial history of unfaithfulness, multiple marriages. And Jesus doesn't shun her. He doesn't say, clean up your life, and then we can be friends. He goes and finds her in the place of her public shame, the place where she goes by herself to get water because she cannot be seen with the other women who are probably talking about her and turning their noses up at her. Jesus goes to her public shame and befriends her on purpose and establishes her as the person who goes to her village to tell them about Jesus. That woman, the Samaritan woman, is the one who goes and tells her village, please come and see Jesus. He's told me everything that I've ever done. In other words, he knows who I am. You know who I am. I know who I am. The thing is, Jesus knows who I am too. And he came and spoke with me. He came and talked with me. He said he wants to live and love me. It is these people who are marked by continual unfaithfulness that Jesus still pledges His faithfulness to. And if you are a church person who is carrying the weight of shame of adultery, the weight of the shame of privately holding that desire in your heart, who does not, cannot seem to find their way out into the light of faithfulness, you need to know that Jesus is, is right there. You are hiding from maybe everybody but Him. He sees the worst that you don't want anybody else to know, that you are being entombed within, and Jesus wants to be your friend. Jesus' faithfulness is greater than, transcends, can reverse, can break the power of your unfaithfulness. You cannot stand and oppose God. You think that the, the, the shame and the dirt of your unfaithfulness, of leaving, living this foolish kind of life, could somehow defeat God. But what I'm telling you and what the Scriptures will tell you, what the Gospels will tell you, is that you cannot defeat God. His faithfulness is stronger and better than your unfaithfulness. And we, all of us in this room, child and adult, single and married, we should hear that God has a way for you to live and to thrive in this world. And if you have given yourself over to the way of foolishness, if you have hugged the fires tight, God has not cast you so far from Himself that you can never come back and have life again. The fruitfulness of the way that God intended you to be in the world, the good place, the good life that was on offer in the law and in the teachings of Jesus, there is a place for you there. You are not too far gone. But you have to let go of the anchor. You cannot let the anchor keep dragging you to the bottom of the sea. Let go of your shame, of your darkness, 
and your unfaithfulness. And let Jesus tell you the truth. He's always seen you. He's always known. You are not surprising Him. And you don't have to forever wear the label fool. He will instead lift that off of you and put around your neck a sign that says son or daughter. He is the covenant-keeping faithful God. And before you stands today life. Choose today, do you want to live? Do you want to be private and unseen? Or do you want to live? The pain of moving from one place to the other is far eclipsed by the beauty of the life of God on offer to you. Repent. Married or single, adult or child, repent, turn away, and come into the way of God for you, and let His faithfulness undo all of the horrible power of your own unfaithfulness. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we, we live in a place and a time that is training us for unfaithfulness. We've been trained to be unfaithful people from the moment we were born. And the ingredients, the recipe for responding to that training is, is in our bones, it's wound into our DNA. The consistent pattern the way of this world is that of unfaithfulness. And God, there are people in here who, who put on a good show and, and claim to, to be close to you and who love you and who do love you and they're trying. And there's people in this room who, who want nothing to do with you. And in all those groups of people and everything in between, there are these secret and private lives scooping up coals and bringing them close to the chest. God, we, we confess that we are not people who are better than other people. There is in us faithfulness just like there is unfaithfulness in people everywhere. Our great hope is Your faithfulness, O oh God. Father, we know that we, we cannot just try harder and be more faithful. There's no combination of practices or our efforts that would suddenly transform us by our own will. We need You, faithful God, covenant-keeping God, to transform us by Your Holy Spirit. We need You to teach us and lead us into the work of faithfulness. God, I pray for all of us in here who are hiding shameful secrets. 
I pray, God, that today is the day that they would be so tired of carrying those things around. They'd be tired of being an unfaithful person and appearing to be happy and whole. God, I pray that you would break our hearts and help us to see the danger of sin. We want to live the good life that Jesus describes. Father, help us to be a really and truly wise people by knowing your way and walking in it. We trust, God, that you will deliver us into that life that you established, that you will set our feet on a good path, and that you will carry us all the way home until you complete the good work that you've begun in us. We are people in process, God. And in this specific area, we put up our hands and say, we yet need your help forever, Lord Jesus. Amen.